Welcome to Anthony's Desk, life and business lessons on achieving goals and transforming society. I'm Anthony Gold, and I've had the great fortune of being an investor, entrepreneur, CEO, software developer, hardware engineer, and even an intern. My greatest sources of learning were terrific mentors, inspiring colleagues, and many mistakes made the hard way. Those lessons learned and my desire to continually grow form the basis of everything I write and talk about. Okay, today's topic is ridiculously powerful, both in its ability to hold us back in life and once surmounted, the incredible peace and opportunity that follow. It's called the imposter syndrome, and I know all about it, not just theoretically, but personally. And several of my friends, who the world considers to be very successful people, also suffer from it. Here's a real-life dialogue between me and a very competent marketing consultant to explain what I'm talking about. I asked her, tell me about an accomplishment you consider to be the most significant of your career so far. Her response after a long pause, um, I'm not sure any of my accomplishments have been that significant. Well, what about the website and marketing strategy you built for one of the world's top financial services agencies who said your work blew them away? Her reply, oh, that was okay. It wasn't really that big a deal. To which I noted, You know, you seem to consistently downplay your achievements. Her comeback? To be honest, I think I'm a fraud. I'm not sure I should be recognized as a marketing consultant. That is what is known as the imposter syndrome. And this from a marketing superstar. Turns out nearly 70% of the population has been affected by the imposter syndrome. People like Denzel Washington, Tina Fey, Sheryl Sandberg, Meryl Streep, Even one of the greatest authors and poets of our time, Maya Angelou, she said each time she published a new book, she thought, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now. And even Dr. Margaret Chen, who heads the World Health Organization, she said, there are an awful lot of people out there who think I'm an expert. How do these people believe this about me? I'm so much more aware of all the things I don't know. It's so easy to fall prey to the sense of deceit. Turns out we have two voices in our head. One that gently, confidently speaks to our virtues and capabilities, assuring us that we belong and that everything's okay. The other voice loudly shrieks in disdain at our faults and mistakes, so eager to convince us that we're we're frauds and we're not good enough. And it's the second voice that we listen to when we choose to be our own worst enemy. But that doesn't need to be the case. For the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about ways to overcome the imposter syndrome. Yes, it can actually be done, and believe it or not, it's not that hard to do. So the imposter syndrome term has been around since I think it was the late 1970s when researchers were were studying um, some highly successful people and kept seeing the same trend that these people who had accomplished amazing things had this persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. And this is what led these, these clinical psychologists to, to define this term imposter syndrome and to begin, being, begin studying this, which is this interesting trend among people who are typically um, high achievers. But the crazy thing is that on the other end of the spectrum, ironically, we have what's known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the backstory of the Dunning-Kruger effect goes something like this. It, it's, it took place from a, from a series of bank robberies in, in Pittsburgh 
in the mid-1990s, I believe. And there was this, this bank robber. His name was MacArthur Wheeler. And he somehow came to the conclusion that if he put lemon juice on his face, that security cameras would not be able to, to see him. And it's true that lemon juice has been used as, as a way of, um, of writing, coded writing. If you write uh, with lemon juice on a piece of paper, it won't be seen until you hold up the lemon juice to, to, to heat or some, some heat source. So in a sense, um, there's that aspect that lemon juice can be used for, for secret writing that way. And somehow Wheeler became convinced that if he smeared his face with lemon juice, that likewise it would not show up on cameras. And if the story is accurate, it, I think he actually took a picture of himself using a Polaroid camera after he smeared his face with lemon juice. And sure enough, he couldn't, the, the face was not exposed. And most people believe that, that there was something wrong with the camera, uh, that that was the case, because obviously lemon juice is not going to hide your face from security cameras. But nonetheless, Wheeler convinced himself that smearing his face with lemon juice would indeed hide him from security cameras. And he went in and robbed a bank in Pittsburgh and he was not caught. So he went in and robbed a second bank uh, from Pittsburgh and further convinced himself that, wow, this really, really works. Well, when the police <laughs> went through the video cameras, the security cameras, sure enough, they saw his face posted on the news. Within minutes, people had responded back saying, yes, it's this guy, MacArthur Wheeler. He was arrested and brought in for questioning and, and, and uh, obviously put in jail. But all the while, Wheeler was just shocked that they actually found him. Because, again, he was convinced that, that he wouldn't be, wouldn't be discovered. And these two researchers, Dunning and Kruger, really discovered that at the opposite end of the imposter syndrome. So, again, the imposter syndrome is where we have very um, high accomplished, um, highly driven people who feel like they're frauds. At the other end of the spectrum, we have people who have very low competence, yet believe that they are very, very competent. I'm not sure how much help there is for people who suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. We're not going to be talking about that uh, for this episode, but we are going to focus on on the aspect of the, the imposter syndrome and how to overcome that. And before we get into that, the last point I want to mention before getting into these techniques to, to overcome the imposter syndrome is to point out that while I mentioned 50 to 70% of the population has said that they have suffered or suffer from the imposter syndrome, it tends to affect women even more. Many women tend to attribute their success to external factors such as luck, and they attribute their failure to internal factors such as their lack of, of skill, their perceived lack of skill. And with many men, it tends to be the exact opposite, that they attribute their success to intrinsic capabilities like skill, and they attribute their failures to outside conditions like luck. But regardless, this imposter syndrome thing is real. It seems to affect women even more than men, but it can be overcome. I'm living proof of it, as are many other people who have suffered from this. So how do we do that? I'm going to tell you about the four-step process that has helped me, and hopefully it can help you. Step one is recognizing that we're doing this to ourselves. Most of us can acknowledge that we're our own worst enemy. But just saying that isn't enough. We need to own it. Yep, I got it. I keep sabotaging myself. I don't like it. It doesn't feel so good. In fact, it feels pretty crappy. But that's a huge step. That's like 80% of the battle right there. Each time we find ourselves thinking, I'm not good enough. 
they're going to see through me or any other similar thought. That's the trigger. And after we recognize it and own it, which is simply acknowledging that we're doing this to ourselves, then we're ready to move on to step two, which is stepping outside the situation. Step back, look objectively at the assertion. For example, in the case of the woman who told me that none of her accomplishments were that significant, is that really true? By this point in her career, she had built many websites and effective marketing programs for tons of clients. Is it true that none of them were of any significance? When we can step outside the situation, ideally without emotion or attachment, then we can see things much more clearly. I knew of at least two clients who were incredibly pleased with this woman's work, gave glowing testimonials, and referred other clients to her. So if we look at the data objectively, clearly there wasn't evidence to support her claim of insignificance. In fact, the opposite was true. And of course, that's often the case. So here's an effective technique you can use to help step outside the situation. So think about a time that you think you fooled someone. Now imagine a fantasy in which you actually tell the person how you fooled them, how you conned them or tricked them. Then imagine how that person would respond. And in most cases, the response is something that totally cuts the argument right out from under the imposter syndrome sufferer. For example, if I imagine that I fooled people into believing that I was a good leader, and then in my fantasy, I approach one of my directors and, and tell them how I tricked them all these years into believing that I could actually lead a company and, and chart a vision for the future, the person in all likelihood would respond with something like, Anthony, I've worked for many companies and leaders in the past. Don't insult my intelligence by thinking that I can't spot competence when I see it. The fact of the matter is that the imposter syndrome doesn't point to a lack of competence. It points to a lack of confidence, this inner feeling that I'm not good enough. And by stepping out of the situation, we can begin to objectively look at the assertion that I'm not good enough and begin testing it much more logically. Here's another effective technique, and I use this at an all-day career workshop that I hosted about a year ago, and it's called the Accomplishment Exercise. And here's how it works. So you partner up in twos, ideally with a stranger, although it doesn't need to be. And one of the two people describes one of their professional accomplishments. There's no emotion behind it. They simply just describe factually one of their professional accomplishments. And the other person writes it down and then compliments the person. And the person who described the professional accomplishment can only respond with a thank you. You can't justify it. You can't explain why it wasn't a big deal. All you can say is thank you. So it works like this. I basically describe one of my professional accomplishments. The other person writes it down and gives me a compliment. And all I can say is thank you. And then roles are switched. The other person describes one of their accomplishments. I write it down and I offer a compliment and the other person can only say thank you. And then each of us describes to the rest of the group the accomplishment that the that our partner stated. So in other words, the other person is reading my accomplishment out loud to the group and I'm reading uh, the other person's accomplishment out loud to the group. So we did that across um, the entire workshop. And at the end, we asked people how they felt about it. And every single person in that workshop said the same word. It felt amazing. Why did it feel amazing? because we could reflect on our accomplishments without any self-judgment. 
And that is so powerful to hear from another person reflection on what we did without us offering it, without judging it, just having to listen to it objectively. It can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. So that accomplishment exercise works so well. And there's different ways that you can use that. If you don't have a whole group, you can do it in. You can still find someone that can help with it. But it works so incredibly well. And the key to having that work is the idea of stepping outside the situation. When we're in it, then we have judgment, then we have our emotions, then we have our feelings of it's not good enough. When we can see it objectively from the outside, everything looks much clearer and it certainly feels so much better. So that's step two. Now, step three is to spend two minutes in the victory pose. What's the victory pose? It's one of the most amazing techniques for increasing our confidence. And the research was done by a woman named Amy Cuddy, who has the number two TED Talk in the world. And the research behind this is incredibly compelling. And it turns out that our body posture plays a significant role in how we feel. And it it works like this, that there are two hormones in our body uh, that affect our confidence, uh, testosterone and cortisol. So cortisol is the stress hormone. And when cortisol is raised, we feel more stressed, more anxious. And when cortisol is lowered, we feel less stressed, less anxious. And the other hormone is testosterone. And testosterone is the feeling of confidence when it's raised. And when testosterone is lower, our confidence is lower. And so what Amy Cuddy and her research team set out to study was whether or not you could elevate testosterone and decrease cortisol naturally without, without any medications or, or anything like that. And it turns out the answer is yes, that our body posture affects uh, those two hormones. And what she discovered is this victory pose, that if you spend two minutes in the victory pose, and the victory pose is simply basically putting your your hands over your head in a V formation uh, with your, your fists clenched and basically standing like that in the victory pose and, and sort of exclaiming to yourself this, this feeling of success like, yes, and doing that for two minutes. Two minutes in that victory pose, believe it or not, two minutes of just doing that increases your testosterone by 20%, a 20% increase in testosterone and decreases your cortisol levels by 25%. It's just unbelievable. Two minutes in the victory pose dramatically increases testosterone, dramatically decreases cortisol, and the overall effect is that we feel so much more confident. And interestingly, the opposite of the victory pose, which is how many of us spend much of our time, is in what she calls the failure pose. And the failure pose is closed off, you know, kind of our arms crossed um, or our legs crossed when we're sitting down and somewhat hunched over a bit. And the failure pose actually leads to the exact opposite of what we want. The failure pose leads to a 10% decrease in testosterone and a 15% increase in cortisol. So it has the exact opposite effect. It lowers the confidence hormone and it increases the stress hormone. And so that idea that we can simply spend two minutes in that victory pose and all of a sudden feel so much better, it's just unbelievable. And so use this victory pose anytime that you're feeling not confident about your ability. Anytime the imposter syndrome is starting to creep in, the victory pose is an awesome technique for quickly just diminishing it 
within two minutes and it literally works. And don't take my word for it. When I first read the research, when I watched that, that TED talk, my first reaction was, I, that's ridiculous, it's silly, it doesn't work. And I tried it and oh my goodness, it is, it's amazing. And everyone that I've ever met, anytime that they're going on any, anything that could be a stressful situation, whether it's a job interview, first date, no matter what it is, I say, try the victory pose. And of course, the first reaction is that sounds kind of silly and it, and it sort of looks silly when you're doing it, but it really, really works. So don't take my word for it. Just try it and you'll see the results are, are simply amazing. And now the fourth step that I use to overcome the imposter syndrome is to review my positive feedback tag. Now, what's the positive feedback tag? Basically, it's this. Anytime that I receive an email from someone that is complimentary in a way that I help them, I tag it with a, a positive reinforcement or a positive feedback tag. Or uh, when I used to use Outlook before I used Gmail, I would use a, a positive reinforcement folder and I would put it in that folder. So again, anytime that someone would reach out to me to say how I helped them in some way, some kind of accomplishment that someone wanted to recognize, I would tag it with that, that positive feedback or positive reinforcement tag or put it in that folder. And then anytime that I was feeling down in some way or starting to uh, succumb to the imposter syndrome, I would simply go into that folder and take a look at it and see all these messages from people. And then I would reflect on, oh, yeah, that's right. I did help that. Oh, that's right. I did have that, that impact on that person. And it just instantly shifts the feeling of not good enough into one of recognizing, hmm, I do seem to have made an impact. Hmm, that did seem to really help that person. And the shift in the feeling, the shift in the emotion is just instantaneous when you start looking at, at those sorts of things. So it's very easy to set up. You just create a tag in Gmail or a folder in Outlook. And anytime you get one of those kinds of messages, just, just tag it or put it in the folder and use that in your arsenal to, to combat the imposter syndrome. Just open that up. And over time, as that folder grows, it's just, it's just amazing. It's amazing how well it feels and how quickly it just diminishes, if not eliminates instantly, the feeling of, of imposter syndrome. So that's step four, the, the positive reinforcement tag. So those are the four steps of overcoming the imposter syndrome. Again, quickly summarize. The first is recognizing that we do it to ourselves. The second that I use is stepping outside the situation and using those techniques of either the fantasy of actually having that conversation of how I trick someone and explaining it to them and, and seeing what they would say or the accomplishment exercise uh, that I mentioned that I'd used in, in that workshop that I ran a year ago. And then the victory pose, which you can use anytime that is just simply just ridiculously amazing as well. The positive reinforcement or positive feedback tag reviewing those. So those four things using those four steps, it just quickly turns and it actually forget turning. It just quickly eliminates imposter syndrome. But the more that I practice that, the more that anyone practices that and those techniques, you'll see how quickly you begin to overcome the imposter syndrome where you no longer need to use these things because they've become habituated and you're no longer becoming your own worst enemy. But basically, the key thing is when you are feeling the imposter syndrome in any way or it's creeping in and you do any or all of these four things that I mentioned, then check back in with yourself to see how you're feeling. Sometimes just rephrasing the original assertion 
of, you know, I'm not good enough. Or in the case of the woman, the conversation we had at the beginning, my web designs, ah, they're just okay, nothing special. That original statement could be transformed into, hey, my clients tell me that they're very happy with my work. I seem to be making an impact. And so this idea of being able to totally reframe what originally was this self-defeating, being our own worst enemy, imposter syndrome, now gets transformed into, hmm, I seem to be making an impact. And we're not saying that or doing that from a place of arrogance or a place of cockiness. We're doing it from a place of quiet confidence, this idea that, wow, I really seem to be making a difference, and maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. And again, the more that we practice that, the more that we see that not only does it work, but it, not, it feels so good. And as you do that enough and as you practice that enough, you will see that your thoughts and feelings of the imposter syndrome are going to diminish over time until they are almost never there. They may pop up every now and again, but when they do, you have these tips and techniques that can instantly shut them down and get you back to feeling amazing, feeling confident, and most importantly, the ability to let your natural skills and passions that are inside of you shine out and help others. And of course, that's the goal of what we want to achieve with why we want to overcome the imposter syndrome in the first place, so that not only we don't have to feel so crappy, but that we can actually make an impact and actually touch lives. I know for myself how much the imposter syndrome held me back for so many years. And these, these four steps or these four techniques have just worked wonders for me, and I'm hoping that they can work wonders for you as well, because so many people suffer from this. So on the one sense, the good news, if you will, is that you're not alone. So many people suffer from this. But the really good news is that we can overcome the imposter syndrome, and it's not that hard to do these steps, these techniques, practicing them makes them just work so well. And the more we practice them, the easier it is. And I want to leave you with this one quote that has so inspired me when I first embarked on this, this path or this program of trying to overcome the imposter syndrome. And it's a quote from, from Henry David Thoreau. And he said, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. Isn't that so beautiful? If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. And it's so true. And overcoming the imposter syndrome can help us so much toward being able to meet with success unexpected in common hours. And most importantly, the ability to touch lives and to make a difference. So thank you so much for joining me on this second episode of Anthony's Desk as we talk about the imposter syndrome and how to overcome it. I'm living proof it can be done, and I know you can as well. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. 